Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Journey Now podcast by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, please visit journeytn.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Journey Now. I'm Susie Lind, your host for Formation Friday. Today and next week, I'm sharing a special conversation I recently had with my friend Katie Hasseltine. Katie is an Enneagram coach and spiritual director here in Franklin. You can find out more about her at havendirection.com. If you've been around Journey for long, you've probably heard people talk about their Enneagram number. The Enneagram is a helpful and insightful way of understanding yourself and others and how we see the world, but it can also be confusing to the uninitiated. In next week's conversation, we get into more details about the Enneagram and what makes it particularly helpful to our spiritual formation. This week, Katie and I are talking about her experience with the examen, an ancient church practice that dates back to St. Ignatius. It's a method for a structured and contemplative prayer. I thought it would be particularly helpful for us as we're kind of in the middle of the Lent season but also for those of us who might need a little bit of a refresher in our prayer life. Katie shares about her work with the examine and how it's helped her. And we also dive a little into her story of moving from a traditional evangelical practice of faith to a more contemplative one. Enjoy our conversation and don't forget to like, share, and send us your comments and questions. And you're writing a book. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so I wrote a book. I wrote a book. You wrote is, a book. It is being formatted as you and I speak. And oh, it is awesome. called uh, All the Things, A 30-Day Guide to Experiencing God in the Prayer of Examine. It's a very wordy title. Mm. But um, when I, uh, I was exposed to the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, and I spent a year in them, and one of the things Ignatius asked retreatants to do was pray this prayer of examine, and um, I'm an Enneagram one, and I had a faith that was very much um, right theology, mm. doing right. It was a lot about right. <laughs> yeah. So how about- did you, did you, were you born a Christian? <laughs> Were you born into a Christian home? Were you like, what, tell us about what you, your inherited faith and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was born to, um, I would say to, um, agnostic parents. Uh, my mom was raised in a very strong faith. And I think as an early adult, she, um, wrestled with where her place was in that faith. And so as a child, I was not we were taken to church mostly Christmas, Easter. Mm-hmm. I was a part of a youth club where I did youth mm-hmm. choir. Yeah. So I developed a love for hymns like between kindergarten and sixth grade, mm-hmm. but um, that was once a week on Wednesdays. And then we would sing once a month at church and my mom would drop my sister and I off and um, go have coffee. <laughs> That's amazing. It is amazing. And uh, my mom and dad both have very a very strong faith today. My dad came to faith after I got married. My mom, it was never my mom left faith. She just sort of had to put it aside, figure out yeah. what it was, and she's taken it back on. So, um, but all that to say, I had a lot of freedom. I couldn't mm-hmm. pursue faith or I couldn't. And as a high school student, I, 
I flirted with becoming a Catholic because some of my good friends were Catholics and Mm -hmm. that looked cool. Um, And then I started going to youth group with a friend that I'm still friends with today. And that's where I came to faith. So I myself chose a very um, legalistic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very black and white. It it really worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was already a firstborn good girl. Yeah. And faith was like, it fit me like a glove. But, you know, what I didn't realize is it was like dumping gasoline on these burning embers of trying to do the right thing and trying to be the right thing and trying to believe the right things. Um, And so for me, I think there were a lot of years where faith for me was just, I was desperate to have right theology. I was desperate to be orthodox. I was desperate to have the right practice. I was desperate. Um, And I really struggled with that connection with God, with Jesus. And, um, but somewhere in the thirties, as it happens for a lot of people, Mm-hmm. Life just doesn't work very well. Yeah, um, it all falls apart. <laughs> it falls apart. Uh-huh. And you realize that everything's a lot harder. People aren't who you thought they were. Things aren't as you thought they would be. And um, I didn't have categories for that. Mm. Because if if all I was doing was doing the right thing, then if things weren't right, then I just had no, I didn't have grounding for that. Um, and so I really struggled to find my footing. And I started praying in ways I was never taught or thinking about God in ways I was never shown. How did you, how did that happen? Like, how did that get introduced to you? I think desperation. Okay. I mean, I really think having everything fall apart and my closest friends were having everything fall apart and we would just start just how we would talk and pray just started changing. And then we started feeling differently about things and I opted to leave a church I had been a part of for 15 years um, over some issues and ended up at a in a more contemplative setting okay. at a liturgical church. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was introduced to the spiritual exercises. And I would say okay. for me, that was a huge turning point. And, you know, I, I don't think that the church I was in for 15 years is a bad church, or that's a bad way to express a Christian faith. I think for me as a one with my history um, and my circumstances, it's like, it's like a little cocktail. (laughs) A plus B plus C equaled disaster. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't know that it, that's the equation for everybody, but for me, it was a really toxic combination. And what I required at that time in my life was a lot of uh, gentleness Mm. and stillness and uncertainty and mystery and all of that I had not been exposed to. I mean, maybe I had been exposed to it. I didn't know it. It never registered. So it was, I was in the right place at the right time and um, ended up really doing that deconstruction, reconstruction of this isn't actually about me. This is about a relationship. I kind of came from that. I started wanting to come from a place first of I am loved Mm -hmm. versus I will get it together. Then I will be loved. Then I will be worthy. That kind of thing. I wouldn't have said that out loud that that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing in my mind. 
it's so interesting that you left an environment that felt really structured and formulaic and you found the path to deconstruction and reconstruction in a more contemplative and liturgical environment. Yeah. And I think for a lot of evangelicals, when they think it's of opposite. right, but when they think of liturgical environments, they think of order and boundaries and ritual and rules. And, and it, it, we may not have the imagination to see that actually that, that gives you a lot of space, right? Yes. And for me, that was it. It was almost like because I was relying on hundreds of years of tradition mm-hmm. in praying prayers and in reading certain scriptures, all of a sudden that pressure, right. like if I could sum up my internal monologue of the last 46 years, it's, it's, a, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to mm-hmm. you. It's up to you. Like that's the lie I have to push aside every day. And there was something about it's up to you, meaning you had, it was your responsibility. Not everything is up to me. Yeah. Everything is up to me. So it's up to me to do the right thing. It's up to me to know the right things. It's up to me to reach out and connect to God. It's up to me to, you know, make sure the house gets cleaned. It's up to me to whatever. That was just my monologue. And so when I was able to connect to this history, this tradition all of a sudden I wasn't trying to come up with the right thing to say or do. Mm-hmm. I was borrowing mm-hmm. and somewhere, somehow in the borrowing of somebody else's expression, I was able to identify my own. There was no pressure anymore. Mm. Like there's, and then I was borrowing from a bunch of different people and they all didn't think exactly the same. And that was okay. <laughs> it was that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't know it could be okay. And I remember having left that church, which I bet for me, I experienced as restrictive. And I met with a friend for coffee. And she said, after I left that, she was still in it. And she said, so what have you found in the last two years that you really just can't get behind? Like, what do you disagree with? And I remember laughing out loud and saying, oh, I don't even know. I don't even think like that anymore. Like I don't, it's not about knowing exactly what, where everything, everybody stands on everything because the space that opened up for me was this relationship, this presence of God. I think that that space that opened up for me became more about connection and relationship with Jesus. And it's not that, there aren't things God says to the whole world. But what I was discovering was that there was a way God spoke to me in the intimacy of my life mm-hmm. that it didn't matter so much. Yeah. How, yeah. What, what, it, what God said for everybody else, because I was learning for the first time, this is how God speaks to me. This is how, um, and that was new for me. That was mm-hmm. new for me. I was so used to just write doctrine and orthodoxy. Yeah. Well, I love I love what you said about the borrowed prayers and the borrowed faith of others because I I see that as so scriptural, you know, when when you know when 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 Hebrews talks about a great cloud of witnesses mm-hmm. and people who have gone before us and and all the one another scriptures, this idea that we're actually, we're not meant to carry our faith alone and we're not meant to live out our faith alone. And so that can come from people that we're actually in real life with. And it can also come from voices that we learn from that we don't know personally in current times, as well as 
the many voices that have gone before us. I think that's really beautiful. Yes. Yes. So, so then the, the examine, the prayer of the examine and that practice has come to be extremely meaningful to you. You taught us about that also yes. at the women's retreat yes. that year. So, so talk a little bit about that and, and how that came to be and, and, how can we how can we easily participate in that tonight if we wanted to? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you Google the prayer of examine, you will find 25 different versions of it. But the components of it are essentially an acknowledgement that God is present to you mm-hmm. right now in this moment and is always present to you. You acknowledge that the spirit is who shows you whatever you need to see. And so you ask for that. <laughs> you just say, show me. And then mm-hmm. the third part is just looking at your day and starting to pay attention to how you responded with your feelings, your thoughts, your reactions. Did you have resistance? What were you drawn to? What did you resist? What did you love? Where did you feel unloving? Where did you feel belong? Like you had a sense of belonging. Where did you feel like you lacked belonging? It's looking at your day every day, every 24 hours. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be a really short, light glance at your day, but you're gathering pieces and you're gathering information and you start to kind of put together over time. What are the things that you're involved in that really lead you, as Mm. I just would say, to greater faith, hope, and love? And what it pulls you from faith, hope, and love. And then you use that information from the examine over time for your discernment. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this a healthy thing for me? Does this relationship pull me to greater faith, hope, and love? Is this job a place where I can express faith, hope, and love? Is this um, activity that I do um, drawing me to or away from faith, hope, and love? Um, So that's the third part of the prayer. And then it's List your gratitude. I mean, there are mm-hmm. many studies. We all know how important gratitude is. Um, it's also an opportunity to say and acknowledge where have I wandered from love? Where do I need forgiveness? Where do I need to offer forgiveness? Um, and then finally, it's a it's a real it's really a request to God. Be be with me. Stay mm-hmm. close to me. And it's really an acknowledgement that God is with you, but also just that awareness that we don't live like that. <laughs> so God stay yeah. close, God be close. Yeah. And Ignatius centered this prayer in the spiritual exercises and he wrote a ton of prayers, a ton of meditations, a ton of practices in the spiritual exercises. But today Jesuits are really encouraged in the tradition of Ignatius that if there's only one prayer you do a day, do this one because this contains the most information for you and the most centeredness and the most um, awareness of the nearness of God. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a great prayer. There's also a great app that I tell everybody about. It's called reimagining the examine Hmm. and um, you can download that app. It's free and you can have 72 different ways. You can choose on a list, like an examine for, healing inner wounds and examine for making in a decision, an examining grief and examine it's literally, you name it and it'll just take you through the different questions. I love that. It's pretty great. I also, I think what's really helpful is what you said about using it over time. Yeah. Because I think we're, I think we tend to, we just by nature want quick fixes for everything, including our spirituality Mm -hmm. and 
And so I, I really think it's helpful when you say that this is something that's useful over time that, you know, you might feel good one night doing, practicing this, you know, but over time, it's going to teach you to listen to the voice of God and to look for his footprint in your life and to, to, to grow in discernment. I think that's really, really, really helpful. And I think that Ignatius is famous for discernment. I mean, if, Mm -hmm. if there's a lot of writings on discernment. And the whole point is that you don't know things immediately. It's like what Mm -hmm. you're saying, but it's over time, you gather this information and you start to see what things over time. And that's why I think the examine is a very practical and very doable prayer because Mm -hmm. it's not a long, heavy prayer. This isn't Mm -hmm. an hour of your time. This is, yeah, this is five minutes at the beginning or end of your day where you run through in your mind, these five steps. And honestly, and I tell people this all the time. Some days I only get to God. Thank you for being with me, especially now. Yeah. That single sentence Mm -hmm. has changed how I see God because Mm. I see God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I would have told you mentally that I believe God is present to me, but Mm -hmm. that's what I was taught. That's true. Mm-hmm. I actually feel that now. And as I even approach any situation, if I can just say, thank you for being with me, especially now, just mm-hmm. how I engage that situation is very different than how I would have done it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's easy. So being in the more um, liturgical world, are you, today's Ash Wednesday yeah. the, at the time of recording, are you an observer of Lent? Yes. Um, I don't see any ashes on your forehead, Katie. I know. What's the deal? Well, I didn't drive today <laughs> to get them. <laughs> I know. And you know what? I actually heard on another podcast that the Catholic Church was actually told not to impose yeah. ashes directly on people's foreheads this year because of COVID, that they're just like sprinkling yeah. ashes. Yes. Isn't that strange? So, so yeah, I, I have been a part of Ash Wednesday services for the last number of years. And um and in typical one fashion, when I when I joined <laughs> the liturgical church and had this whole new church calendar to engage with, I was very intense about it. I had all my devotionals. I had all my special things. I had all my books mm-hmm. on the church calendar. And I was very intense about it and tried to get my kids involved and had all sorts of props and things. And um, of course, I've slacked off over the years. And um, <laughs> But I really did. I actually thought um, when I woke up this morning and was aware that it was Lent, it, um, what I'm grateful for is that I no longer even view the church calendar as this, this is the right way to do it. It, it mm. felt to me like an invitation. And this morning right. I thought, okay, if Advent is this preparation, making room for God, then Lent is this remove, like getting rid of <laughs> the things that keep us from seeing, knowing, believing all that stuff. And I just, I just said to God this morning, I just want to, I just want to be open to what you have this Lent. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not like it's yeah. special. There's nothing special about today versus yesterday. I just think it's an invitation to in- right. to reflect on something. Well, that, that's what I've come to appreciate about the church calendar mm-hmm. is that it's chock full of invitations. Yes. So, and we, we at Journey, we observed, we began to observe Lent together last year yes. and then 
the pandemic happened. Um, and for many of us, it feels like this has been the longest Lent ever. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we're not observing it as a church together, you know, this year, but I, I, I have always loved observing it because to me, it's, it's a, it's an invitation into the darkness mm-hmm. and um, like the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so there is an invitation that there's something strengthening to be found in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And 2020, 21 has felt like a long period of darkness. And so I don't really see it as like, okay, let's just get even darker, but like, <laughs> okay, like here we are yeah. on Ash Wednesday. Um, 46 or so days prior to the day that we celebrate rising from the ashes and celebrate the the resurrection of of Jesus and I think that there is this darkness to be embraced that okay like I can actually maybe sit with this differently than I have before and and maybe there's still more to learn because here we still are mm-hmm. in some ways mm-hmm. and um you know, the, there's, there's that really great book by, um, um, Bar- is it Barbara, Barbara Taylor Brown, Barbara Brown Taylor, Barbara Brown Taylor. I always my girl. mix up her name. Uh-huh. What? She's my girl. Be- oh, I love her. I love her. So learning to walk in the dark, that yeah. book. Oh my gosh. I mean, just uh-huh. like, just the, just the wonder found in darkness and learning to see and learning to see things differently. Yeah. In fact, that book made me so mad the last couple of days. The snow has made things so bright at night. So like when I, <laughs> when I look out my window, I'm like, it's not even dark. I can't even go to sleep in this light. <laughs> no, I keep waking up in the middle of the night thinking it's morning. It's like because I, I wake up with the sun and I'll think yeah. I woke up twice last night thinking it was coming up. Yeah. Um, but my favorite phrase of Lent, and I'm, I don't remember who said it, so I give credit to whoever said it. It wasn't me, um, is bright sadness. They refer mm. to Lent as this bright sadness. This Oh, that's so and, good. And it's, it's what you're saying is there's something in the dark. There's something bright, even in the dark. And it's, yeah. um, oh yeah, I do. I do love that. And I do love that. Well, so at the time of this recording, there are people who are going to, or at the time of that this airs, it will be well into Lent, probably by a week or so. If people want to still engage in Lent, is it your opinion that they can jump in anytime that they don't, they don't need to wait till next year, Ash Wednesday to try it? (laughs) (laughs) Bless all of our hearts. If, if observing a season required us to start on time and end time, none of us would do it. So I guess of course course jump in (laughs) when you can and um and this and also uh, even I mean also when I'm teaching people to pray the examine it's always just when you remember it just pray the last 24 hours don't don't start try to like go back and do your whole week or just whenever you remember just join and just trust that that reminder was you didn't cause yourself to remember Lent or Mm. Advent or any other season, or to pray, or to read the Bible, or to do anything. So whatever, whenever that notion strikes you, grab it. Be grateful you remembered it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and move towards it. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that it's just such a great reminder that the Spirit calls us into and, and draws us towards Himself, which is yes, so beautiful. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for joining us today on the Journey Now podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts.